You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 16 this week. And uh, who has been here from the beginning? Romans chapter 1. All right, we've got a few hands. We've got a few hands. So, and it's just been a wonderful, wonderful journey, hasn't it been? Week after week. Who's been here every single message? Or has heard it online? Maybe I should say that as well. Yeah, there we go. All right. All right, we'll catch you all in there. It's been a beautiful journey through Romans chapter, uh, for, from all the 16 chapters, and today is going to be, be just the same as we just finished here in Romans chapter 16. So if you will turn with me in your Bibles, and if you have the, the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, uh, you can click on the events and you'll find all the references that will be up on the screen, and you can also follow along there. But I'm just going to read for us, for our passage this morning, the, the, the final three verses there in Romans chapter 16, verse 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophet's writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we've come to the, this morning, come to the end of our journey through the book of Romans. And I don't know about you, but it has been a remarkable journey as we have week after week seeing the love of God, the love of God before our unfold, before our becoming more and more aware each week that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that's from Romans chapter 8, if you remember that. The more his character has been revealed to me, the more I have become acutely aware of my need for him. I'm sure it's the same for you. The depravity of my soul in the light of his holiness. And Paul revealed to us that there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in my studies, I did a really deep dive into those Greek words, the meanings none and all. And to my amazement, I found that they meant none and all. We all fall into these categories. We are, we are the none and we are the all. If you have been here with us since the beginning, you know that Romans chapter was 1 through 4. That was hard going. Those are some tough weeks as we came face to face with our inability to save ourselves and to fix our own lives. But God. Those amazing words. But God. Those amazing words in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 where he said, But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 6, just before it, Paul writes, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Aren't those amazing and comforting words this morning? Sinners, not only sinners, but enemies of God, as Romans 10 showed us. Weak without strength, but God. But God. If that's the only thing you remember from this sermon this morning, anything, take that. But God. If you're in a trouble or anything, but God. Just think on those words and God will speak to your heart. But God reconciled us through the death of Jesus on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin. Remember in chapter 7, Paul re relayed to us his struggles with the sinful flesh. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God 
through Jesus Christ. And this is the story of Romans, the gospel, a story of grace, condemned sinners becoming gracious saints. And so as we come to the end of the book, finally here in chapter 16, we come face to face with some of these gracious saints, if you've been able to read ahead. You know, it's an amazing way for us to end our time in Romans as we get a small window into what the church there in the, in, in the early church was like. So this final chapter for us here in chapter 16 is going to present us with three points. And the first is that the gospel is about people. The second one is the truth is worth fighting for. And thirdly, our doctrine about God should lead us to worship our God. So number one, the gospel is about people. Now, in my, my usual routine for studying on a particular passage, it, I usually just read it, read it many, many times. Some many years ago, somebody once said that's how they began, and I just took it as a, a practice of my own to just continue to read over the passage, you know, as, as I'm getting ready, you know, if I, I knew probably a month before that I was going to be teaching on this. So I started to read it. And when I know I'm going to teach, I just start reading those verses day after day after day, and I just let it resonate, let the words resonate with me. And then, then usually while I'm in the shower, these ideas will start coming, you know. I'll just start thinking about things and thinking, you know, going in directions with the passage. And, and start, you know, as I think about it and I meditate on the words. Now, if I was to preach every single week, we'd have one heck of a, a water bill f- for sure. Because, you know, I just kind of sometimes stand there for a while just thinking on these things. You know, I've preached a few amazing sermons in the shower. You know, there are those that sing and I preach. But so as I was going through this process, you know, of letting these words on chapter 16 affect me, I was overwhelmed with a couple things. One was Paul's love for the people there in Rome. Paul shows his humanity and his love for those he is ministering to. He, he revels in those that he works with. He takes pride in their accomplishments. He takes joy in the work of God in their lives. Secondly, I realized that buried in all these greetings that we're going to look at was the meaning of Romans. And all of that lofty theology and that practical application that we have gone over through these many months, we realize that it's about people, you and me. Gospel is about people. God so loved the world, so love one another. And if Romans does not lead us to love God more and love people more, then we have missed the point. Romans was not written for professional theologians. Though they can, they'll spend many times, and it's good, we splitting hairs over all those Greek words. That's good stuff. But for you and me, it was meant for you and me. The simplicity of the gospel clear week after week and month after month in these chapters. God has made himself known to us, but because of our sin, we have been separated from him, but are now reconciled through Jesus. And are not only saved from something, but to something, to be used by God for his glory. So a question this morning, what makes up a great church? No, I think that's a valid question. It's a question that people ask all the time. What makes a great church? Is it the good music? You know, a lot of people choose church because of the music. You know, is it great preaching? You know, we have great preaching here every single week. You know, the word goes out, goes out in power, goes out concise and clear. You know, is it an amazing building? Well, we have an amazing backdrop that they put up this morning. It looks really, really good. Is it because there's a great children's ministry? We have a great children's ministry here. Teachers that are teaching the word of God and the gospel to your kids every single week. Those are all great attributes. But ultimately, it is a congregation that's receiving the gospel, being changed by the gospel, 
living the gospel, sharing the gospel, and giving praise and thanks to God because of the gospel. This is what makes a great church. And this is what I found here in chapter 16. And as I got to studying, you know, and I started pulling out all the commentaries and reading what, what other people had to say, commentator after commentator observed how the gospel of Jesus had established these amazing relationships of love. People and churches living the realities of the gospel. And I realized that the Holy Spirit had impressed on my heart the same truths he had impressed on these amazing theologians that had gone before me. That in all their amazing knowledge and wisdom and PhDs, they had come to the same conclusion that I had. The gospel is about Jesus changing lives. This is the message of Romans. Just here in these first few verses, you can see Jesus everywhere. There in verse 2, welcome her in the Lord. Verse 3, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, the first convert to Christ. Verse 7, they were in Christ before me. Verse 8, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, my fellow worker in Christ. Verse 10, Apelles who is approved in Christ. Verse 11, Greet those in the Lord. Verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord. Verse 13, Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Verse 14, Rufus, chosen in the Lord. There's nothing vague here about Paul's heart for those he has labored with. No, a few years ago, I remember reading a Facebook post by a Hungarian friend of mine who, who lamented the fact that people just don't sign their emails or their texts anymore, you know? Their correspondence with, like, sincerely or thanks or best regards, you know, sometimes not even their name, you know, now it's just kind of assumed, you know, that your name is probably at the top of the text or something, you know. We live in this age of Twitter, Snapchat, emojis, you know, we're truncating our speech all the time, saving our letters and our characters. What are we communicating when we, we correspond with people, especially with our brothers and our sisters in the Lord? Many years ago, I got into the habit of, of signing my emails with Aldash, which means, which means blessing, Hungarian, and I, I probably started to do that because it was one of the first Hungarian words that I learned. You know, I just started to put it on the end of my, my emails, but after a while I realized this is what I wanted to leave with people that I was corresponding to, that I wanted to tell them there's blessing. I wanted God's blessing on your life. You know, if you were to greet somebody in a Reformed church in Hungary, you would, you, you'd, say to, you'd say to them, which means blessing and peace, that person that would greet you in the same way. And then you would immediately have this connection, even among strangers. If you were to go to a Baptist church, you would greet someone with the phrase, which means, blessed be the Lord. And they would respond in kind. There would be that immediate recognition. This is what I do with those sermon extras all the time. I can't get words out of my mouth. The immediate recognition that we serve the same God. You know, I got an email from someone in the choir uh, last week, that is the Whitefields Christmas Choir. And if you want to join, you can sign up at the back. We'd love to have you. It's a great choir. So I received this email from someone in the choir the other day, and they signed it, In Christ. And I thought to myself, yes, you know, we are in Christ. Just as Paul signed his letters and his greetings, In the Lord, in Christ. This is what draws us together in unity today. We are in Christ. Jesus alone is capable of bringing together people from all walks of life, and we are all equal at the foot of the cross. Now, now notice the different, how different the relationships and the partnerships are. It's remarkable the words, you know, that he uses to describe these people that he's in relationship with and a relationship with him. You know, he says, he says, sister, brother, servant, saints, patron, 
or benefactor, fellow workers, church, first fruits, or the first con, uh, um, convert, or kinsman, or my fellow countrymen, or fellow prisoners, beloved, approved in Christ, elect mother to me. These adjectives serve to show the unity and diversity that was in the church in Rome. You know, racism is the antithesis of the gospel. It is the tragic work of Satan to try and strip the gospel of its power. Paul was greeting Jews and he was uh, greeting Greeks. You know, men and women, slaves and free. Many slaves who'd come from up from North Africa, who knows where they dragged these slaves from. Politicians and businessmen, married and single, rich and poor, all of them, all of us in Christ. So here in these first 16 verses, Paul greets 27 people, 26 there in Rome, and of course, Phoebe, we see her name there in verse 1, who most likely was the one who carried the letter from Paul to the saints in Rome. So who are some of these people? These are not fictional characters, but real people there in the early church who were faithful to sharing the gospel so that you and I could know Jesus and be reconciled to God. Thirteen of these 27 names have other historical documentation than what is written for us here. Real people, you know, real people with real lives working hard and laboring in the gospel. So we're not going to dig deep into every name in, in the chapter and do word studies on every name, but we are going to look at a few important ones that will give us some insight to the text now, very interestingly enough, nine out of the 27 names mentioned are women. Paul has high praise for these women, commenting on their hard work, revealing to us that women were active and influential in the ongoing mission of the church there. And Paul spends the most time here praising Phoebe there in verse 1 of Romans chapter 16. He says, I command to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centrea, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the patron of many people, including me. So what can we know about this Phoebe? Well, she was commended by Paul, which was, in a sense, an, an official introduction to the, the church in Rome. Paul was giving her credibility and authority on his behalf and in his name so, so she could be trusted and also to reveal her heart to serve the Lord, uh, to serve the Lord there in the church there. Second, she's from, Cent from Centria, which is the eastern port of Corinth, where most scholars believe Paul was spending the winter when he wrote this letter. She was most likely, of course, traveling to Rome on business. Third, she appears to be a woman of means, meaning the word patron there at the end of verse 2 suggests that she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Other translations use benefactor. She has helped many, including Paul. It may well be that she was a successful businesswoman, just like Lydia there in Acts chapter 16. She was able to travel from port to port and could be entrusted with the letter that Paul wanted to send to Rome. Lastly, Paul refers to her as a servant of the church in Centria. Centria, interestingly enough, was a place that Paul traveled to with Priscilla and Aquila, who are mentioned there in verse 3. This word servant is from the Greek word diakonos, and that's where we get our word deacon from. And the word is most often translated servant as if you do a word study, but in the epistles it refers to an office in the church. And this is what most commentators believe Paul had intended it to be used as, meaning Phoebe was most likely a deacon in her home church serving there faithfully. So Paul says, give her whatever she needs. She is my sister in the Lord, and she wants to serve you in any way 
that she can. What an amazing insight we have just in these first few verses to an amazing businesswoman of God who served her local church but could be counted on no matter what, where she went. So if this is you today, you were a Phoebe, be encouraged in the Lord. You know, use the gifts and influence God has given you for his glory. The immense respect Paul shows here for Phoebe shows us how much the church had elevated the role of women in ministry. This was quite opposite, of course, to the way that the Pharisees of Jesus' time treated women. Next, we see there in verse 3, um, we meet this, this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. So first we had Phoebe, a Greek, single, successful, successful businesswoman, and now we have a Jewish couple who were tent makers. Paul met this couple in Corinth, and they had just recently been kicked out of Rome, and Paul knew this couple well. He actually made a living making tents with them. We learn about that in Acts chapter 18. Now, evidently, they had been able to return back to Rome, and, and, and Acts chapter 18 reveals to us that they had traveled quite extensively at some point together, them, Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, going everywhere with Paul, and that must have been quite an adventure, you know, riots breaking out all the time, Paul's getting stoned all the time, you know, that was, they've got some things to write about and some things to talk about, you know, and I wonder, though, if Priscilla and Aquila, just by reading their history and reading in Acts and reading here, I wonder if they were some kind of anchor point for, for Paul, some kind of place of refuge, some kind of place of counsel and wisdom, and of course, it's just a pure speculation on my part, but you know, we, we read there uh, this encounter that they had with this man named Apollos there in Acts chapter 18, verse 26. It says, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And it says, after that, Apollos, he traveled to Asia and from all accounts became a successful evangelist and apologist. Who knows? Eponidas, they were mentioned in verse 5, could have been that first convert to Christ in Asia under the ministry of Apollos. Who knows? It's just speculation. But you know, it could be very well possible. So, again, if you are a married couple here this morning, God might bring you a Phoebe, might be bring you a Paul, might even bring you a Paul into your lives to minister to. I know it's been the experience of my wife and I, who God has bring, brought people, who God uh, has brought people into our lives who he's using, and many times we become that just kind of that place of refuge for them, place of safety, someone to cry with, someone to rejoice with in, in the struggles and in their growth in the Lord. You know, so if that's you this morning, you know, take up that challenge as God brings those people into your life. You never know what he might want to do through you. Paul seemed to have there in verse 5 quite an affinity for Eponidas. He says, my beloved, who he, he was the first convert there in Asia. And then verse 7, we are introduced to this couple, Andronicus and Unia. He calls them my kinsmen, probably referring to the fact that they were also Jews. And then he also refers to them as my fellow prisoners, because they probably were also in prison, just like Paul, for the sake of the gospel. Paul says there that they were Christians before me, you know, probably showing respect to their maturity in Christ. And, not, you know, not only are, are, are all these people on this list individuals' stories of grace, but each name represents so many stories of God's provision, God's faithfulness, miracles that happened. Imagine the stories Paul and Adronicus and, and Unia share together, you know. Obviously, they're now back in Rome. They're out of prison. They're still in ministry. They're still preaching the gospel. And Paul's like, you know what? These guys, they're the real deal. He says, even the apostles, we're talking Peter and John and James and Philip and Thomas and Andrew, you know, they, this, this couple, Adronicus and Unia, they're coming up regularly at the official apostle board meetings, you know. 
Have you heard what these guys have done? You know, super missionaries. Paul is boasting in their faithfulness. And there in verse 12, if you got to read the passage, you notice the twins there in verse 12. Greet those workers in the Lord. Tryphena and Tryphosa. Yeah, I'm not going to do well with these Greek names this morning. Tryphenina, there we go, and Tryphosa. Their names mean dainty and delicate. Dainty and delicate. And Paul seems to use some playful irony here when he says, who have labored much in the Lord. And Paul uses a word that means labor to the point of exhaustion. You know, he says they might be dainty and delicate, but they really work hard, you know. And then we come to the last name we're going to look at, Rufus, there in verse 13. Rufus is a very interesting person. He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. So who was Rufus? Well, Mark 15.21 identifies Simon of Cyrene as the father of Alexander and Rufus. Couple this with the fact that Mark wrote his gospel in Rome, and we can surmise that Rufus was the son of Simon of Cyrene who carried Jesus' cross. This seems to be, of course, the general consensus among historians and, and commentators that this is the same Rufus. Was Rufus there when his father was ordered to carry the cross of Jesus? What kind of impact did that have on his life? Even if he was not there, you know his father was talking about that incident nonstop, you know. Those are one of those stories that kind of trump every conversation at a dinner party. You know, like, yeah, that's a great story, but you know, remember when I carried Jesus' cross? Yeah, that was me, you know. What a great testimony. What, what, what impact that must have had on Rufus. And here, he's there at the church in Rome, and Paul is writing and greeting him in the Lord and his mother, who says he, his mother was like a mother to me. Are you starting to see all these connections, how all of these stories of grace have come together in Christ, in the Lord, God using this diversity and unity for his glory. All these different colors of people making up the beautiful portrait, the beautiful tapestry of the gospel of Jesus. And before we go on to the next section, I just want to point out that the, the church of Rome was probably not only one church, it was probably many churches. Notice that these folks are spread over several churches in Rome. There in verse 5, uh, referring to Priscilla and Aquila, he says, greet also the church in their house. So there's also one church that he gives a kind of generic greeting to through Priscilla and Aquila. And then there are these other names. Look at verse uh, 14. Greet uh, uh, Asynchronous, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. That means probably means the church that meets there with these brothers. Similarly, in verse 15, greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Stories of grace and fellowship with one another, sharing the labor of the gospel together. Such an amazing picture, picture here Paul paints for us here in chapter 16, the body of Christ. And we get to look, as we close in, uh, this, this uh, book, we get to a window into how the church was there in Rome. Now Paul ends the section here in verse 16. I know you all wanted to get there. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. So we're going to be starting this uh, you know, appear in the church, kiss each other on the way out, but no, it's not going to happen. Now, in the Western world, that's a weird concept, very weird, the idea of greeting each other with a kiss. It's very foreign to Westerners, but in Eastern cultures and in Hungary, it's definitely not a foreign concept. It's very much part of your, your everyday life. 
And it took me a while to get used to it as I lived there, figuring out the, you know, figuring out the etiquette. You know, how long, how long do I have to know somebody before we start doing the kissing on the cheek thing? And then, you know, there would be that awkward moment where you'd watch them kind of lean in and, and then you just, you didn't react and then they kind of leaned back and there was this awkward stare and then, you know, the moment was passed and you just kind of, ah, you know, and we did a, you know, kind of weak handshake, you know. And then the whole kind of, you know, do I go to the right first or to the left first or I'm going to hit somebody on the head. You know, there's a lot of things that go into this kind of stuff, which Paul didn't reveal to us here. He should have given us instructions for these things. And the whole kind of kissing the man on the cheek thing, you know, that was weird at the beginning. Men have beards and it's scratchy, you know. It took me a while to navigate these, these nuances. But needless to say, this verse is very common practice overseas. And you know, Marduk and I had many opportunities to, to travel to different churches in Hungary and Romania. And many of them had these times of greetings that were in, in the church service where, where somebody would stand up and bring greetings from an uncle or bring greetings from a brother in another town. Or if there, if there was a guest speaker, they would bring greetings from their home church. Just like Paul shares greetings with the church in Rome there in verses 21 and 24. You know, by doing this, Paul reminds us of all the stories, all the stories of grace that make up the body of Christ. As these, as these names are being read, you know, as they read the letter of Romans and they came to the end, they started to read these out aloud in the various churches. People's vision of God's work was expanded and their faith was strengthened. Now, in the midst of this very kind of kumbaya moment we're having here with commendations and greetings being shared back and forth, everyone's kissing each other, Paul kind of interjects a very somber warning there in, in verse 17 against those who desire to bring disunity to the church, not for the sake of truth, but for their own self-serving agendas. And this brings us to our second point this morning, which is truth is worth fighting for. There in Romans 16, verse 17 and 18, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and greet ops and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Now, these are very, very strong words. Paul does not hold back. It seems like such a departure from, from that spirit of reconciliation and love that he kind of talked about in chapters 14 and 15, if you remember. And then even back in chapter 12, he said, he, he wrote down, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Hey, Paul, you know, what's the deal now? Why is the change of tone? Can't we just kind of all get along? So why is Paul being so protective here? He knows that the work of God will not go unchallenged as the gospel spreads from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. He knows that Satan's greatest weapon is not a full frontal assault, but with deception, subtly changing the gospel, adding something here, taking something away. They're luring people into a false sense of assurance, not based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross, but on their own abilities and their own goodness. And the unity of the church the unity of the church is based on the truth of the gospel. And like I said in the beginning, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. Jesus makes us one. The truth of God's word is what unites us, not how we feel about things, we feel about each other. A couple years ago, Oprah Winfrey capsulized the lie of this generation, one phrase of the Golden Globe Award. She said, speak your truth. 
Speak your truth. Not speak the truth, but speak your truth. A very dangerous phrase. And this mantra, your truth, is not the truth of the Bible, but sadly the truth in many ways is the church in many ways has compromised the truth of God for ever-changing truth of society. There are those who call themselves Christians who seek to divide the church over secondary issues for their own for their own self-interest, being dogmatic, or maybe on on the Bible where the where the on issues where the Bible is not dogmatic. They they do it under the guise of holiness, of course, but it's for their own glory and not that of Jesus. I think Paul is harsh on this topic because. God is harsh on this topic. Turn with me to Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19, if you have your Bibles. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And if you underline your Bible, this is a great passage to underline. It is a somber verse, but it's one to keep in the back of our minds. It's, some, it's a verse that I've gone back to many, many years. It says, "These there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. This is not one you kind of send on a Christmas card to anybody. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Did you see that? God took the time to share with us seven of the things he hates. Number seven is one who brings division in the church, who sows discord among the brothers. I would hate to have my name on that list. You know, one who causes division in the church. On the list of things that God hates, it's just not a place I'd want to be. Sadly, this verse has stayed with me many years. I've known so many worship leaders in other years, other leaders being involved in ministry now for almost 25 years, you know, and I've known worship leaders and leaders who have, who have caused division in their churches over style and power and recognition all under the guise of holiness, of course, but ultimately for their own thirst to be in the spotlight. So many people dividing over the aesthetics and over form and over secondary issues instead of uniting around the gospel and people. That's what Paul is talking about. And Paul also refers to people who try and add to the gospel, put an obstacle in front of those who seek to follow Jesus by grace and by grace alone. You know, today, again, there are many groups that call themselves Christians who seek to put obstacles in your path, in many ways trying to be the mediator between you and God. They use these things to hold people captive, to guilt or to standards that God does not require. In Paul's day, he would have said, you know, he would, they would say, you need to be circumcised or you need to observe the Sabbath or you need to eat kosher. You know, they would say, it's not enough to be justified by faith. That's good, but it's not enough. You need these other things too. If you really want to be holy, dot, 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 fill in the blank. People, Paul said, avoid these people. Avoid these people. Stay away. Don't fellowship with these people. They seek their own glory, their own agenda, and not that of the gospel of Jesus. They seek to put people in bondage to something that God has set us free from. And, but Paul says these people are going to be hard to spot. They're going to be hard to spot. They're going to be well-spoken. They're going to be charismatic. They're going to be kind, you know, probably well-dressed, good-looking, who knows? Harmless from the outside, but they are wolves. They look like sheep, but they are wolves. Their aim is not to edify the body of Christ, but to destroy it. Do you know how you spot wolves? Well, they go after the weak, and they go after the naive amongst us. 
They're going to build a following by going after those that are young in the Lord, that are not yet grounded in their faith, but with a great zeal to please the Lord. You know, Marduk and I, we, we come from a fairly large church in Budapest, and, and so I've seen quite a few of these people. And, you know, they kind of fly under the radar for a while. They kind of stay hidden for a while. But then every now and then you'll, you'll start to see the signs and you'll spot them. And oh, I'll spot them when el- one of the elders would spot them. They're usually hanging out with some young ladies after church, you know, who just got saved maybe the week before or a couple weeks back. And, you know, they, they're talking nonstop, of course, talking nonstop. They're coveting the attention of, the, of these people. You know, and then afterwards it would come out that this person said, you know, well, this church, you know, just not holy enough. And, and, you know, they're just not doing the things God wants. And they're doing this right and they're doing this wrong. But yet they've been coming to this church for months and months and months. It's kind of sowing discord among the brothers. You know, poison in the minds of these young believers. These types of people are wolves. And Paul says, avoid them. Second Peter 2 has a lot to say about this topic. I won't read the whole chapter, just the first few couple verses. And it says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So let us not be caught up in these heresies and and take to heart Paul's warning here, but be discerning always, always returning to the gospel, as Pastor Nick uh, preached last week, the importance of preaching the gospel to ourselves. It never gets old. It never gets old. It is always relevant. It's always essential. It is a source of of our lives, and it is the source of truth. You know, just as a side note, many people lament that the, the 20th century church is not the same as the church in the book of Acts, but, but Paul's warning here, and, and all this stuff we, we read with his dealing with the Corinthians and with the Galatians, you know, remember he's writing this letter there in Corinth, you know, all these things serve to show us how dysfunctional the church was back then. It was filled with people who were sinners, but it's the obedience to the gospel is the only thing that brings some kind of order to our fallen world and our fallen natures, letting the Holy Spirit do that work in us day by day. And as Solomon wisely put it, there's nothing new under the sun, whether 2,000 years ago or today. We all need to come back to the truth of the gospel, preaching it to ourselves day by day. And Paul commends the church there in Rome for this. In verse 19, he says, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through and through all, and in all. Paul says, you have been obedient to these things, to the gospel of Jesus I shared with you, but be warned, there will be deceivers who will seek to distort the gospel. So be wise as to what is good and innocent to what what is evil. The J.B. Phillips translation puts it, I think, very distinctly and clearly. He says, I want to see you experts in good and not even beginners in evil. I want to see you experts in good and not even beginners in evil. But then he finishes this section, 
You know, it's kind of, we kind of go from this high point to this kind of real somber point. But then he finishes there in verse 20 with this, with a glorious truth. And I want you to grab onto this this morning. A glorious truth. The peace of, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul has reminded us this, reminded us there's going to be opposition to the work of the ministry. There's going to be opposition to the work of the ministry here in Longmont. It's not going to be easy sailing. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to live the gospel and we're going to share the gospel. Then our enemy is going to try and undermine our efforts. But the glorious truth that is, he, Satan, is defeated. Amen? Satan is defeated. Ultimately, our success in ministry is in the hands of the Lord this morning. The battle belongs to the Lord. Battle belongs to the Lord. What is our greatest weapon? It's prayer. Crying out to God. God, do your will. Do your will. Isaiah 55 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I pray this verse every single time on Sunday mornings. For myself, for Pastor Nick, that when he preaches his word, it will go out and it will accomplish what God has set it out to do. That's God's promise. We to be to obedient, to just preach the word. And God's word will accomplish what he has set it out to do. Speaking the word, living the word, God will bring the increase. He will bring the victory. Paul reminds the church in Rome who is in charge. Yes, Satan might seem to have some kind of power now, but it can't stand against the truth of the gospel, and he will be crushed in the end. And then Paul ends with this amazing benediction and doxology there in verse 25, which brings us to the last point and the last and final point for this morning our doctrine about god should lead us to worship of god and this doxology here paul finishes with doxology is the combination of two words it's doxa and logos doxa meaning glorious and logos meaning word and this is truly a glorious final word for us here as we we finish this amazing book Jesus is our doxology. The glorious word made flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's read it there in verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a great worship song filled with theology but packed with praise. Paul had a moment like this. Remember at the end of chapter 11 as we, as he was talking about theology and mining the depths of God's character and his love, it led him to sing out, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Theology leading to worship. Doctrine leading to worship. We, we have so much to be thankful for. So much to sing about. If, if your theology and my theology does not lead me to worship and bring praise to God on my lips and thankfulness from my heart to him, can I suggest to myself and to you to reread Romans, meditate on the work of Jesus on our behalf? Just rereading that first line there in verse 25. Now to him, now to him who is able to strengthen you, 
Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to, the go- to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. God did it. Still doing it. And will finish the work he has begun in you. That is a glorious word this morning. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. There in verse 27. Amen. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. This is the message of Romans. But God's wisdom of God, but God. I was lost, but God. I was self-centered, but God. I was God's enemy, but God. I was ignorant. I was arrogant, but God. As David says in Psalm 63, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Let's all stand and pray together. Although we're so grateful for this book of Romans and all that you have taught us over these many weeks and months as we've gone verse by verse and page by page and just been face to face with our iniquity, but also face to face with your glory. And that our sin is swallowed up in your greatness greatness of Jesus Christ, his death on our behalf, paying the penalty for our sins so that we could live this life and be reconciled to you, being not only saved from our own destruction, but saved to a relationship with you. No longer be called slaves, but be called called friends of God, adopted children of the living God, no longer enemies, but friends. We rejoice in that fact this morning, Lord. And as we just finish this morning, just sing with our hearts because your love is better than life, Lord. We just want to praise you and just worship you in this last song, Lord, that you would be blessed. We thank you in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.